Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse, and uh, you've come out with a new book, The Sexual State, How Elite Ideologies Are Destroying Lives and Why the Church Was Right All Along. And um, I'd like just to start out by what is uh, the sexual revolution and what's its most essential characteristics and maybe some of its fruits. So I break it down into three parts, three main ideologies. I, I, the, the idea is that a, a good and decent society should do everything possible to separate sex from babies. And I call that the contraceptive ideology. Right. And then the second idea is that a good and decent society should separate both sex and babies from marriage. And I call that the divorce ideology. So you don't, it's not essential that you be married before you have sex. It's not essential to be married before you have children. Um, and I call that the divorce ideology. And the underlying idea there is that kids don't really need their parents. Kids are so resilient, they'll be fine. Mm. Um, and then the third idea is that um, the sex of the body is not particularly significant. And the differences that you see between men and women, they're all socially constructed. Um, and can be reconstructed at the social mm -hmm. level, or they can be reconstructed personally now. That's the new, you know, it started mm -hmm. off that men and women are completely interchangeable, and now it's to the point where the, the, the underlying idea has become more apparent, which is that the body doesn't really matter, and so therefore right. you can remake yourself into whatever sex that you want. Mm -hmm. And I, ca I call that the gender ideology, and that's, that's approximately how Pope Francis uses the term, the gender mm -hmm. ideology. And why, I, this might be out of your study, but why 1960s did all this blow off? What is, it almost well, like universally too, across the world. Yes, yes, I, and you know, that's a good question. There were a number of ground, the, the, the ground was being laid for it well before that, you know, so you have the Kinsey Report in the immediate uh, post-war mm -hmm. period, you know, which is kind of softening people up for the idea that, ah, well, everybody's doing it. So you might as well do it too, you know, right. um, and that um, that you're basically you're kind of a chump if you're if you're chased, you right. know. Well, that's right. like that's that's for losers. You don't really have to do that. Um, so there was a kind of softening up that way, and also the the move to um, remove all restrictions on contraception. That move had been in place for a long time. That, that it took them a long time. It took them thirty years mm. to get to the point where the Supreme Court ruled on Griswold versus Connecticut. You know, they had been fighting for that for a long time. So, so the 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 pieces had been in place for a while. You know, and it just kind of all yeah. came together in that period. As yeah. to why, you know, I I I think there's, the the spiritual answers are probably as good as any of the natural answers. Yeah. You know, but well, I was struck too just by like the population crisis, you know, lack of replacement rate and having babies, uh, just like almost everywhere, it's like that's yes. going down. Yes. And that's that was staggering. Like even in third world, not all, but some, yes. even poor countries, uh, it's going down. Yeah. And I'm like, is it is it because of the population controllers oh yeah that, i mean yeah. it's 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 been i mean look the 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 long-term trend even before the 60s or even before the pill the long-term trend was for more developed countries people to have lower birth rates mm -hmm. and part of that is that you didn't need to have as many babies in order to achieve your ultimate desired fertility because people weren't dying you know babies weren't dying in childbirth and, and right. di dying before age five and all of that kind of stuff um, and so you can see declines in fertility that took place without the sexual revolution, without the pill, 
right. know, the peasants of France uh, do, decreased their, and I talk about it in the book, the peasants of France decreased their, cut their fertility in half, you know, before 1920 they had done that already. Well, it wasn't with the pill, you know, right. But, right. Right? Um, but what's new in the 60s is the ideology of contraception. And the ideology is saying that uh, everybody's entitled to sex. And you're entitled to child-free, guilt-free, problem-free sex. And they're really the business of the government is to give you the sex life you want with the minimum of inconvenience. Yeah. You know, that's what was new. The peasants of France never thought that they were creating a whole society that separated sex from babies. Right. You know, they were using extended lactation and, uh -huh. and, and uh, periodic abstinence. You know, all the natural, they were using natural methods basically is how they were doing it. But they were getting married and staying married, you know, and they were staying married to the same person. And in some cases they would get married later in life. And, you know, so, so there were all kind of natural methods that can de decrease fertility, but none of it had the same ideological impact as saying sex is an entitlement. And that's what's really new um, yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. I know I've heard it said that um, like modernity, part of the definition of modernity is a greater leisure time and things. And, and even globally, I heard there's actually people are living better. You know, there's still a great disparity you know, in many ways, but I wonder sometimes too if the kind of the greater leisure in a culture, um, I don't know, feeds kind of a more license and pleasure-seeking consumeristic attitudes towards everything, including family sex. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about yeah. that. I don't know how to answer that. You know, yeah. because you know, f farmers farmers work hard and everything, but they also have long periods of time where they're not doing as much. You know, yeah. and hunter-gatherers have long periods of time where they're not doing much, <laughs> you know. And Middle Ages, Catholic culture had a festival every other day. It seemed like, you know, everybody had to work, you know. <laughs> Somebody's local saint day, you know, so we don't have to work. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if I buy that, yeah, Father Mark, yeah, but yeah. anyway. <laughs> but there's plenty of concupiscence to drive this bus, but there's also, yes. but government drives it. And also, you've pointed out big business. Yes. What's the big business connection? Well, um, you know, there are a number of things. In, in, the, in the beginning of the book, I go through some of the explanations that uh -huh. people offer. And, and that's the one I offer that I think is really unique. I've never seen anybody else talk about this. And, and, and that is that if, if there's instability in the family, if there's instability in the marriage, that means everybody has to work as individuals, right? Mm. So um, I can't get married and expect my husband to take care of me for a lifetime. Uh -huh. Yeah, right. So, so that... Divorce does that. Feminist yeah. ideology did that. What it was doing is driving more people into the workforce. Right. Well, we, you know, if you drive people into the workforce, you, you can get people to work at a lower price if right. you're driving them into the workforce, you know. Yeah. And so in a sense, feminism delivered women yeah. into the hands of employers. So that that is a big part. I, I think that continues to be a big part yeah. of what is driving the whole thing. And, and, the, and, you know, so that's just kind of a generic thing. But also there are whole industries that are shaped around different aspects of the of the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of people making money off of it. You know, there's yeah. just no getting around that, you know. And, then, and so mm -hmm. those people are going to dig in their heels anytime yeah. you try to reform anything. I mean, I was just talking to people who are working on divorce reform right. in Texas, you know. And they had a bunch of people to come in and testify about how painful no-fault divorce was and how unjust no-fault divorce is. And on the other side, two people from the Bar Association and their lobbyist. <laughs> mm. You know, that's who was on the other side is people who make money off divorce. 
hmm, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, so 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 that that so that also is a is a factor in the whole thing. Yeah. But but I also think that you know when you, when you look at the way big business supports Planned Parenthood, the way big business supports the whole transgender agenda, that's very odd too. Mm -hmm. You know, in a, in in a way, and I, and I think part of it is that um, a lot of people, particularly in the upper reaches of society. Um, you know, kind of like the idea of being able to have sex whenever they want to yeah. without any problems, yeah. you know. And uh, so that whole ideological structure, they like. They, you yeah. know, they, they kind of approve of that right. structure. Right. Why? Yeah, I guess I feel like I'm in sales, right, for Christianity. What? <laughs> and it's like, sometimes I wonder why is marriage so hard to sell when it's, People report happier lives, mm -hmm, more fulfilled mm -hmm. sex lives, and all this. Yet, I guess it involves sacrifice, and that part of it is yeah. is the tough part for us, like being committed and things. But well, the 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 point the point you raise, concupiscence, right? I mean, there's always a market for somebody to tell you that you get to do whatever you want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and there's always a market for people to tell you that you're the best and right, right. The, the whole prideful thing, you know, yeah. that's been around since yeah. the Garden of Eden, you know. Right. And so the sexual revolution gives a particular set of structure to the idea that you get to do whatever you want yeah. and, and, and you're the best, yeah. you know. Um, we Feminism gave women a lot of um, excuses to nag their husbands and a lot of things to quarrel about. And I, I didn't need any coaching on that point, you know, <laughs> but, 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 but that's, but it, it, it appeals to the idea, you know, that, well, you know, you're so powerful, you know, you should make something of yourself and you should, right. you know, it's, right. it's just, it's just kind of a puffing right. up of pride, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like too, I'm sure you've made this point that, you know, with the whole gay marriage question, and it, you know, it's like if marriage was in a healthier state, you see what the culture could more easily say, this isn't marriage over here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because our marriage, you know, with no fault divorce and things like that, that it's like it's the reality or the splendor of it is really tarnished. Oh, gosh, <laughs> gosh, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with yeah. that. I mean, if you could, well, stand that on its head, Father Mark, mm -hmm. you know. If you could only get divorced for cause, and if sexual infidelity was a, a spousal, a, you know, a marital fault, if that was right. true, do you think there would be a demand for gay marriage? Right. Do you think gay men would be wanting to get married? You know, and the fact is not that many, there wasn't a big rush. Yeah. There has not been a big rush yeah. toward same-sex marriage. Yeah. You know, it's not like there was all this pent-up demand of people yeah. who wanted it and desired it and yeah. you know, all the rest of it, so. I would think too, especially like in the male, homosexuality community it seems to be so inherently promiscuous and in things that uh statistically mm -hmm. that, that, mm -hmm. you know marriage isn't the ideal form of living that lifestyle <laughs> no and um and 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 if your partner could take you to the cleaners for sexual infidelity yeah. nobody would sign up for that yeah. you know and and you know honestly i think the most honest way to look at it is that what no fault divorce did was to deinstitutionalized marriage was to mm -hmm. take the structure away from marriage yeah. you know so in other words if if one party can walk into court and say this marriage is over and the government always says yeah sure fine you don't really have a marriage institution anymore you know yeah. there is no um, there's no trial there's no judgment there is an in, instead of enforcing the marriage contract we enforce 
the divorce decree, you know, and, and the government is forcibly, we estimate about 70% of marriages have a, a reluctant party, one who want, would like to stay married. You know, it's not mutual. Yeah. Most divorces are not mutual. Right. This is something people don't right. really realize, you know. Right. And so, so once you do that, marriage is no longer permanent uh, and marriage is no longer sexually exclusive because somebody can simply trade up right. or, you know, trade out for a new partner whenever they feel like it. There's no structure to the marriage institution anymore. So once you've done that, okay, let's take out the gender requirement. Oh, oh well, yawn. You know, big deal. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, in in a, in a way, that's what that's what happened to us. And and truthfully, I developed a lot of this material, Father Mark, because I did so many debates on on the gay marriage topic. You know, mm. and I I kept trying to say kids need their own parents, and marriage attaches mothers and fathers to each other and to their children, and that's what it's really all about. And people would say, well, what about divorce? And I would say, yeah, you know, you're right. That's right. So finally, you know. After, you know, I, I maybe came about it going around the barn, but, you know, ultimately I came to see that there's a, a, a structure that connects all these issues, right? right? And, and I think the, the one way to see that structure is that traditional Christian sexual ethics defends the rights of children to have their parents, Yeah. right? You, yeah. You, you don't have sex with anybody unless you're married to them, and you get married and you stay married unless yeah. somebody does something really awful yeah. and you work at staying married you right. don't pick at your pick pick yeah. pick 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 yeah. you know and all of that protects the right of the child to have both of their parents yeah. and and all of these all these deviations from lifelong married love they all somehow undermine that you know yeah. and 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 gay marriage more egregiously in some respects but the, without the groundwork of no-fault divorce, we wouldn't even have had the conversation about gay marriage, I don't think. And what is, do you, have you looked in the, like, statistics on the need for a mother and father and maybe what each brings or from some of your study? Like, why does a, why does a child need a mother? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, yes, I've done a lot of, there's a lot of statistical work out there um, about children doing the best with their own married mother and father. Yeah. You know, that... And it doesn't even matter what indicators you use, yeah, whether you're looking yeah. at health or schooling or um, psychological functioning and yeah. any of those things, you know, kids do, in fact, do best with their yeah. married mother and father. And if you take a step back from that and ask, well, what's really at stake for the child? Um, for the child, um, being with your mother and father means that you know who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your sense of identity and you know who you are, you have a relationship with both parents. Yeah. And so I think of that as a right. I think of that as a human right, yeah. that every human person has a right to know who they are mm -hmm. and to be in relationship with both parents. Yeah. And that's a right that has to be protected proactively right. before damage is done, because you can't, you can't repair a, a loss like that. Yeah. You know, you can't, there's no way to make it good or, yeah. you know, pay damages. You know, that yeah. doesn't even... Yeah. Does, doesn't even add up. I've, I've like read statistics that. too, just like when, when young people or whatever, they know their family history and maybe know like what previous generations have gone through, they're more likely to succeed because they feel connected to people mm -hmm. that, you know, and they're strengthened by that witness. Mm -hmm. But but also like I'm interested too, like in the question of like what a mother and herself brings 
I mean, it's obvious, common sense, you know, the difference between right. men and women and what the father right. and mother bring. But see, we're not allowed to say men and women are different. Yeah. That's a, that's a feature of the sexual revolution, too. Right. Don't forget, right? Yeah. De destabilizing male and female is all part of this process, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you're not allowed to say women are nurturing and men are not. Or, yeah, right. You know, or whatever, or men yeah. are protective. Yeah. You know, you're not allowed to say that. But, yeah. it, but, it, but they are. Yeah. But yeah. it's true, you know, right. and, and children need both. And we need that from one another as spouses. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I've heard you in your, in your talks talk about how you've really centered on that argument now to defend traditional marriage. And I, I think it's right because I think it does speak to people. There's still, you know, people, even very liberal people, you know, still care about children right. and want the best for a child. Right. They say, now you're harming the child by intentionally denying them right. a father or a mother. Right. Yeah. And also, a lot of people have had have experienced that harm. You know, yeah. if you look at divorce and remarriage yeah. and you look at step-parenting and you look at single-parenting and you start to speak about it from the perspective of the child, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, you didn't know who was going to pick you up from school or your mom remarried and your stepsister or your half-sister had a full-time mom and dad, both, mm -hmm. and you don't. You have to go back and forth between, you know, so you can see right away that there are yeah. inequalities, yeah. you know, between children who have both parents and children who don't. I think it'd be such a great argument, too, like with feminists, to say why a, a young woman, a daughter, needs the father. And mm -hmm. all the stats on if they don't have a dad, mm -hmm. You they're know, vulnerable in so yeah, many ways. Yeah. Yes, it's true. It's like it's horrific, you know what? What that? And I think dads, you know, are, seem like there's a greater awareness. I don't know, in some ways, of their role. And I mean, I see it as a priest. That I remember one time we we had a guy who was visiting us. He was a father of ten, and I was asking him, "So, what's it like to raise all those kids?" And he said, "He's finally feeling like one. His younger, his oldest was getting ready to go to college." He said, I really feel like I'm coming into play here now because I'm taking them to college. I'm like introducing them to the world mm -hmm. and guiding them to navigate this. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, I've experienced it in my own life relating to older mentors, friends, that, you know, I think that's kind of the father gift too, is just that guidance. I agree. You know, and how do you make it in the big bad mm -hmm. world? And mm -hmm. this is what you do. And <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that's true. And I think, I think, People who are serious students of child development, you yeah. know, whether in psychology or therapeutic roles or whatever, people who really study child development know exactly what you just said is true. Yeah. You know, yeah. that the father's role comes more into its own the older the child gets. Yeah. So yeah. you need both parents because you, you, it's like you're passing the ball off to each other. You know, yeah. when, when the baby's little, mommy needs to be there rocking yeah. that baby yeah. and daddy needs to keep the yeah. world at bay. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that she can do that, so that yeah. they can bond yeah. and all of that that needs to happen. But as the baby gets older, you know, there needs to be separation from mommy. Yeah. You know, yeah. that needs to take place. Yeah. And, you know, they you take them out of the house and you yeah. escort them out into situations yeah. that might be a little hazardous and dangerous. And mom wants to protect them and dad wants to scoot them out the nest. And, <laughs> you know, that kind of that kind of conflict, you know, yeah. it's a kind of tension, a yeah. kind of dance. And um, and I think that's it's very natural. I think it's very natural. And divorce and remarriage disrupts that. And here's how stepdads culturally are not allowed to really be fathers. Yeah. See, because the mother will say, this is my kid, you don't really understand. Right. 
when really it might be a moment where the child's yeah. father needs to say, knock it off yeah. and make the kid uncomfortable a little bit, yeah. you know, but the, that dance is so easy for that to get distorted yeah. because it's not, you're not really my dad, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it, and it's so much more complicated than the culture gives anybody credit for. And then every family that struggles with it, they think, well, we're, we're the only ones, you know, if we were cool like those people on TV, we wouldn't be having these problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's unfit. That's not fair to treat people like that. We had Dr. Megan Eaker <laughs> on and she talked about you know how she she was wanting to hold on to the kids too long and she had to let them yes. go for the dad to step in and have his role i, I have a, a therapist friend in a prayer group you know she was saying you know the dads are better at discipline you know we as moms have to you know when they hit teenage years dad's got to come in there it's know? true <laughs> it's true it's very and, uh, true there's a lot of problems. Do you know, Father, I have been in, in I, I've done a lot of live audiences, okay? Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of talks where there are 50 people in the room. So I'm looking at every one of them, yeah. and I can see how they're reacting. Yeah. And sometimes I've made that point, you know, that that one of the problems that a single mom faces is that as the, as the child gets older, um, you know, now he's a teenager and he's bigger than she is. Mm -hmm. And she can't make him behave. Yeah. And I can see women in the room you know, just kind of shuddering yeah. because it's it, it, this yeah. has happened to them yeah. and nothing in the culture prepared them for that. Yeah. They think they should be, you know, the brave, tough, stalwart, single mom handling yeah. it all on her own. And, you know, the kid's bigger than she is. You know, yeah. she, she really, yeah. you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a lot harder than anybody gives credit for. Yeah, and the dad establishes that respect for the mother. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That is yeah. absolutely key, which means mom and dad can't be picking at each other all the time, yeah. right? Because yeah. we're supposed to build each other up for the sake of our kids as and well as for each other. I, I heard a Protestant writer one time, he <laughs> talked about, you know, Ephesians 5, when Paul tells women to, wives or women to respect their husbands. It's like, and you know, husbands love their wives. He took the point of view that it's like Paul's exhortation for what each struggles with. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, like- Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, like men maybe think more hierarchical, respect's very important. We think in these categories and, you know, there's a hierarchy to things. You start showing disrespect there, you're really overturning a worldview. Men tend, you know, to play with their toys and things, selfish pursuits, all They need to, you gotta love. You they need to love. be told to love. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the woman yeah. needs to be told to respect. Right. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really interesting. That's but, very interesting, yes, yes. You know, the other thing I've heard too, like with divorce, and like mom's got a boyfriend, there's a lot more sexual abuse, right? Oh, From No question about it. Uh, so well, there's no question about yeah. it. The statistics will tell you that the number one risk to a child is the mother's boyfriend. Number yeah. one risk. The statistics tell you that. Cops will tell you that. Mm -hmm. Social workers know that. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody who's anywhere near this kind of situation, they know that's the most common. Yeah. That's the most common set of... And, and, at our summit last week, we had a summit for survivors of the sexual revolution, and we had uh, testimonies from people who've been through the mill in one way or another. So one guy um, is a, a reluctantly divorced man who's standing for his marriage. We call them standers if they if they refuse to remarry. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're standing for their yeah. marriage. Anyway, so this guy is saying when, when he and his wife were married, um, when their little girl would be scared at night, she would come crawl in bed with them. Well, now mom is remarried. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to crawl in bed with mom and a strange man. Right, right. 
Right. You know, and it's like that is just that is just gut wrenching, yeah. right? You know yeah. that that, that it, it wouldn't be safe. Right. You know, I mean, it just it just is not. It is objectively not the yeah. same thing yeah. to crawl in bed with your yeah. mom and a strange yeah. man. You know, yeah. so I I read too, and you know, were hitting. It seemed like the oxygen goes out of the room. We start talking about divorce because it affects so many people. Right. And but you know, I read that. Because you hear it say, well, there's no statistically divorce rates are the same with Christians and secular people. But I saw this study that was done that showed, like, if you're in mass every Sunday. Yes. Regular religious yeah. practice is the variable. Yeah. Okay, that's what the sociologists the sociologists yeah. call it. Regular yeah. religious practice. <laughs> so, you know, if you're, if you're worshiping once a week, uh -huh. um, uh, the 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 odds of divorce go way down. go way down. Yeah. Yes. So if you say I'm a Christian and you show up Christmas and Easter, eh, that doesn't help, right? <laughs> right? right. Yeah, you look like everybody else, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. But it, but if you if you worship, I I think it once a week is golden, and I think even if it's once a month or more, yeah, it's it's a powerful protective factor against right. divorce and a lot of other pathologies. You know who knows a lot about that? The guy who knows the most uh -huh. about that, Pat Fagan. Oh. Pat Fagan at Catholic University of America. Yeah, he's he's one of our circle of experts at the Ruth Institute. You should get him on. No, no, he knows okay. all kind of stuff. He'll bend your ear. He's great. Okay. <laughs> and let me add, yeah, we've kind of already covered this, but to like a secular NPR world, you say, why does it matter? If these two guys want to get married, how does that affect you? Yeah. Why is it the government's business? And I, I... You know, this thing that, you know, love wins when they talked about the Supreme Court decision, you know, love wins and yeah. and the government's not there to tell you who to love. And I and I've heard people say, yeah, that's exactly right. They have no business saying who we're to love, but they do have the business of making a strong marriage society. You know, they are invested in that. Right. To strengthen marriage. Right. And to talk about what marriage is. Right. You know, can you talk about that? Why? If somebody says, what do these people have to do? Why? Why is Well, you know, look, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is where I started to see the connection between gay marriage and divorce. OK, because people at the beginning of no fault divorce, people said, how is my neighbor? How is my divorce going to affect your marriage? What right. are you going to run off and get divorced just because I get divorced? Right. You know, well, actually, yes, actually, <laughs> they, you know, actually, that that does happen, you know. Um, uh, it, oh, and the kids will be fine. We have studies showing that the kids will be fine with yeah. divorce. You know, yeah. the parents will be happy. The kids yeah. will be happy. It'll all be great. Every single thing that people said about no-fault divorce turned out not to be true. Mm -hmm. So I used to say that in, in law school campuses when I'd be debating. Uh, that'd be the first thing I'd say. I'd say, you know what? We redefined marriage once already, and here's how it went. You know, and that, now the, the students are all out there going, huh. Because they weren't, they didn't see that coming, and they've all been through divorce, right? Yeah. You know, most of those kids in a college classroom yeah. have either been through it themselves, sometimes more than once, yeah. um, or they've seen their friends go through it. So, so the, the 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 mistake there, the conceptual mistake, is to say that is to look at it as an individual versus to look at the institutional structure that it really is the government's responsibility to provide yeah. right i mean what would the economy look like if no one ever enforced contracts right you know i mean that's what we're talking yeah. about in marriage with no fault divorce yeah. okay and and so once you take that piece out now you're going to say it's it, we we allow it to be intrinsically um 
uh, uh, sterile. You know, we allow it to be intrinsically disconnected from children, you know. Um, always my argument around that was, was always, you know, look, we've done a bunch of things we shouldn't have done. Gay marriage is going to entrench further into the culture things that we never should have done in the first place. Right. You know, and I think that's certainly true. I think the last five years have, or three years, whatever it's been, um, have shown that that's the case, you know, that we've just further let the, the structure go to pieces. Yeah, it's like it's a fundamental building block of society, marriage. Yes. And, you know, well, and of the human personality. Yeah. See, because the yeah. love between your mother and father is the foundation for the development of the personality. Yeah. Right. When that's gone, these little stories that I've mentioned to you, you know, yeah. when that's gone, that's very hard on a person. Yeah. And the idea of gay marriage is to say that marriage is completely disconnected from procreation. Yeah. Well, that's a bad thing to say. We yeah. shouldn't be talking like that. Right. You know, we right. shouldn't be doing yeah. that. And the only way that, that a, a same-sex couple can have a child is if they acquire one from somebody else, you know. And, yeah. um, and of course, they never really wanted to talk about that. So you've got to talk yeah. then. You've got to talk about third-party reproduction. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the Ruth Institute, we're perfectly happy to say yeah. nobody yeah. should be doing that. Yeah. Nobody should be doing that. You know, gay, straight, male, female. No, we shouldn't. Yeah. Stop. Stop it. Don't even, you know, don't yeah. even go there. It's unjust. It's unjust to do that. And I, I think, too, these themes, like, they're so part and parcel, like Catholic teaching. I, I remember one of the CDF statements of the 70s, you know, talked about that, how every child has a right to be born out of an act of love. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. That's and just huge. And it seems so quaint now to even say that, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, it's born in the backseat of a car. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. But you shouldn't have done that, you know. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you get married and stay married, you have the opportunity at least yeah. to work out some of the bugs mm -hmm. of the defect of the original setting, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. okay, it was less than ideal. A lot of people are conceived under less than ideal right. circumstances, yeah. but we still love the child. We still cherish the child. And that model, the shotgun wedding model, if you like, mm -hmm. right? That model said that adults are supposed to sacrifice their interests for the benefit of children. Right. The current system says children sacrifice their interests for the benefit of adults. Yeah. It's completely on you, its head. You make a great point. I remember one of your talks talking about, we always say children are re resistant or resilient. And you say they have to, they don't have a choice. Right. right? right. <laughs> and we put all this stuff on them. They're, right. They pick up the cross we put down. That's right. right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Deacon yeah. Burke Sivers says that. Harold yeah. Burke Sivers yeah. is who I got that from. When the divorce is when the adults put down the cross and the children pick it up. Yeah. yeah. Which is nasty. And I just give my own testimony here a little bit. You know, with celibacy, you know, working, like actually being in some prayer groups with families, Catholic families, you're having kids and everything. And I see in like, you know, they're like a small group kind of setting and they're sharing their struggles and everything. And I see the reality of marriage is not an MTV video. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a promiscuous time type of thing, you know, right. not the Hollywood version of rom-com. And, and it, it kind of confirmed me in myself. I mean, not in the sense that just that I don't feel called to that. Mm -hmm. You know, marriage is big. It's about kids, raising kids. And do you feel that call to be a father in that way and, you know, a husband and all that kind of stuff? 
um, that clarified me in celibacy mm-hmm. too. So it does have an impact in all kinds of ways. But. That's really interesting that you say that because years ago, I remember my friend Father Shaw, the late great yeah, Father yeah, James yeah. Shaw, one time said something something similar to yeah. that 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 the the way that um, a, that married a culture of married couples living out their vows yeah. makes it easier or harder for the clergy. Yeah. to live out their vows yeah. and yeah. vice versa, right. you know, that the, yeah. that your fidelity is important to us right. yeah. and ours is important to you. Way. Yeah. You know, my brother always, like a couple of years ago, he was always telling me with, uh, like you had all these cultural elite coming out, like really pro-homosexuality and there's nothing wrong with it and all this kind of stuff. And my brother was like, where is this all coming from? You know, it's like this madness has just mm-hmm. taken over. And you have like, like straight actors just kissing another guy, you know, just for the heck of it. And it's like, <laughs> like, and I am baffled by. It. I I keep telling myself I I really can't believe you're okay with this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they really are, or what, right. but my generation is. I feel like I'm not okay with it from just my generation, not even from a religious perspective. Right. But why has there been such an avalanche? Do you think it's like it's. It's just so crazy now with the, the support of gay marriage and and just you know, and homosexual activity homosexual, yeah, and yeah. now transgenderism. Yeah, you know that it's now to the point where if if you as a man you know come on to a, a woman and the woman turns out is not a woman, yeah. that there's something wrong with you yeah. because you're not attracted to the woman who's really a man. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean the the the. But but that's kind of where you can see the totalitarian nature of this whole thing, you know that it's it's not enough that you conform, you know it's not enough that you obey, obey the law. You're supposed to feel a certain thing, yeah. you know they're they're trying to get inside of your head and tell you how to feel. And they they use force. It's like you got to bow down before this. That's right. Because that's it's, why it's the sexual state, yeah. not the suggest the sexual suggestion. And I mean, it's yeah. like they got to enforce this stuff because yeah. it, it's it, not true. It's so you have not to force true. It, you have to use force. It's got to prop. It's got to yeah. be propped up. Yeah. It's got to be propped up. That it's not. It's since it's an unnatural order. There's no. There's no natural reinforcement of it. So the natural order, the, you know, the Christian sexual ethic is consistent with and conforms to the natural order in some sense. So if you believe that yeah. sex makes babies, that belief will be confirmed by events. Right. You know, uh, and and if you believe men and women are different, that belief will be confirmed by events. If you're going to try to treat, tell everybody that male and female is completely insignificant, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> there's going to be stuff that's going to have to be explained yeah. away. Yeah. You know. And I, I think leaving that force piece out of it, it's like I think a lot of middle middle America goes along with this because they haven't encountered the force. That's so right. Much. That's exactly yeah. right. That's yeah. but but now because of transgenderism in the school, more people are encountering yeah. it. Yeah. You know, they're seeing, whoa. Yeah. You know, I mean, just now I was in the studio audience with the people for Father Mitch's yeah. program. You know, and I said to them. You know, sex ed has been a problem from the beginning. Yeah. It's been a problem, but right. it just didn't. It's only now super apparent, you know, because they're teaching five-year-olds that they don't have to remain being a boy or they don't have to remain being a girl. And I, I have to say too, as a guy, and who, who reveres the feminine genius and marvels at the gift of women and the bonding of a mother and a child, 
And I speak, I preach on that with Mary and everything. I'm like completely baffled mothers going along with the transgender ideology yeah. that you're going to mess with your kid in this yeah. way. Yeah. I would yeah. think women who are so concrete, who don't get lost in abstractions mm -hmm. as much as men do, mm -hmm. very concrete, see the needs that they're going along with this. That, I, I like tell myself, I can't believe you really believe this. There yeah. are a lot of women who don't, trust me. And the very interesting phenomenon going on now, we, we're used to thinking of the LGBT um, coalition. Well, the L's and the T's are at <laughs> war with each other right now, right? I do take some solace in that. Right. Do you know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about? You're familiar with some of yeah, these situations? Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Some of these lesbian women, um, you know, radical feminists and stuff, they are infuriated yeah. Yeah. by transgenderism. Yeah. And I have a dear friend who is reporting on a lot of their stories, who's re yeah. reporting a lot of the transgender craziness. And he's really, you know, nurturing these people along to look, yeah. bring them closer to Christ. Yeah, because yeah. they're used to being told Christians are terrible people, they're mean, yeah. they hate you, yeah. and all that. And it's like all of a sudden they're at the Heritage Foundation and everybody's being nice to them. They <laughs> <laughs> can figure what's going on here, you know. I've been misinformed, you know. Um, but 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 they, I, I, they, it's, I, I don't have it all figured out, Father Mark. And, and honestly, I mean, I deal with a lot of gross and nasty stuff, but yeah. sometimes these t attacks even me. I can't yeah, even read some yeah, of these things. Yeah. But there are cases now, custody cases, where the you know the husband and the wife, the father and the mother, are at odds over whether to go forward with the child's gender reassignment or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the judge is coming in and saying, "Well, you don't get to have any contact with your child because you're not affirming their gender." Right. You know, and, and as I'm thinking about it, those cases that I'm familiar with, it's the father who is saying, no way, and the mother who's saying, oh, yes, by all means, let's let the child change their gender. Yeah. But that doesn't, but I'm also well aware of women, mothers and grandmothers, oh, who are just heartbroken yeah. by what their yeah. child is doing. Yeah. And, and, and they lose their child. The state takes over the child, you know, the state... Mm. Um, you know, they lose custody of the child yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. The state takes control of them and stuff. It's it 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 really is scary. Everybody should be concerned about yeah. it. I, I just be, people, whoever's listening to Father Mark's podcast, you need to get <laughs> off the sofa <laughs> and do something. <laughs> Join the Ruth Institute. We've got stuff going on. Okay. <laughs> where do you, where do you think the like the transgender sports issue, because that's oh. fascinating to me. Because oh. you hear now more like lesbians coming out saying this is not right and all this. Yeah. And I, I'm fascinated. It's like who's going to win this one? You know, <laughs> that uh, it just seems crazy. Well, well, it, it, it's it's illustrative. Let's use it as let's use it to make a point. Okay, so the transgender in sports issue. It shows that the issue was always about power and never about what it seemed to be about. Okay, so you have to remember this. For the true revolutionary, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. Okay, mm. so back in the day when Title IX of the Civil Rights Act was being used to shut down men's sports programs, mm -hmm. the argument was we must have equality in sports so that women can participate. So we're, we're going to shut down men's wrestling programs and we're going to turn dance into a sport so that we can have equality because it's so important that women participate in sports. 
Well, the real point of you—you you might think that oh, gee, we want women to participate in sports. Well, no, that was not really the point. The point really was to shut down the men. That yeah. was the point. Well, today you can see that that had to be the case because now, if a man can come and win every girls' track meet and every wrestling competition and every weightlifting competition, that's the end of women's sports. Mm. Right? There's no more participation for women in sports. Yeah. And the elites think this is grand. This is yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay? Because now it, the next step, this is the step that increases the power of the sexual bureaucracy, mm. you know, to intervene and uh, make, pe make people do things that are not what they want to do and yeah. that are not natural and not normal and, and not conducive to any kind of human flourishing. It just seems like the common thread, too, is that every step women lose in the sexual mm -hmm. revolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, without a marriage culture, they lose. The abortion yeah. thing, they're yeah. suffering. And, and also, you know, I, I don't want to go, I don't, that's true, but a lot of men lose also. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's only, it's only yeah. the Harvey Weinstein type men. Yeah. To me, who seemed to be, right. who, who seemed to win, and yeah. and that's why it was so important that yeah. that young guy um, exposed him finally, yeah. you know, and that and that his crimes and his real true predatory behavior became apparent because that's yeah. what the sexual revolution is all about. It's about delivering women into the hands of predators. That's what it's about. That's what it's always been about. That's why they're in favor of abortion and contraception. They want sex partners that they don't have to be responsible to. Now, you're you're still in a lot of debates. You're out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you ask? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just wondering about your future plans and what. Well, the Ruth Institute is doing great. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we just had this summit for survivors of the sexual revolution. We've got a great team of people working together. We've got we have the the sessions were videoed. Uh, so that's kind of a new step mm -hmm. for us, mm -hmm. you know, to be moving out into that area. And some of yeah. those are on our Facebook page yeah. and they'll eventually be on our YouTube channel. But yeah. but we're trying to, you know, we see the, I see, we see the, um, the survivors of the sexual revolution as a potential constituency for change. That if we, if we could just get the people who've been harmed by the sexual revolution and mobilize them, yeah. equip them, you can't shut them all up. I, and that's what the culture's been trying to do. All the women who regret their abortions, they mm -hmm. have to be silenced. All right. the people who suffer from divorce, they have to be silenced. You know what? Yeah. So that's what I'm about, Father. I, yeah. You know, I'm about trying to create platforms for people and occasions for yeah. people to speak and yeah. encouragement, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because I recently heard this interview with Gloria Stein. It was a couple of years old and she... And I've heard them say this before, that they think the strength of the feminist movement is just to hear from women themselves. Mm -hmm. And if they hear from the survivors and how they've been beat up, because they're not standing on real logical argument or philosophical truth or anything, but it, you know, you hear from experience that this right. has not worked for right. me. Right, right. And I, I might see that just in Christianity in general. There's like this new openness and millennials and everything because they've been so wounded by stuff. They want a better way. Right, you know? right. Yeah. And people are persuaded by stories. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's hard for me as a statistician type geek to admit, yeah. but it's a scientifically proven fact that people are not persuaded by scientifically proven facts. <laughs> 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 and, and people are persuaded yeah. by stories and experience, you know, yeah. and so, yeah. 
um, to find people who are who are attractive and appealing and who have a have a, a story that's consistent with our yeah. message. Because those people don't get a turn at the mic. You yeah. know, Gloria Steinem is not going to listen to the women who regret their abortion. That's not. Those aren't the women she wants to give a platform to, yeah. you know, or the women who regret being part of the hookup culture or the women who cohabited with a guy for 10 years and then it didn't work out and now their peak fertility is gone. Yeah. You know, you, you, do you ever hear about that? Did right. anybody ever talk about right. that? You know, or the STD rates. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the other thing I think about sometimes, too, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a population study and the new or the population centers has most growth will be Africa, Southeast mm -hmm. Asia. And I'm like thinking Western culture as we know it, driven by these elites, is passing. It's not mm -hmm. reproducing. Mm -hmm. It's dying out. Right. It's a suicide pact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but you want, to, you want to save people as much as you can, but it's like, yes. it, like it kills itself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yes. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. Oh, well, it really? was a lot of fun, Father Mark. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I know you've had a long day. I know I have had a long day, but it's okay. And this will, this interview will, um, will, will survive my fatigue. You know, it'll be, yeah. it'll be out there tomorrow and the yeah. next day, and people can listen to it. And so, where do people hear your podcast, Father? Uh, we're on iTunes. It's under Power and Witness. Oh, uh, if you type in Power and Witness, it's also on the EWTN uh, webpage, um, front page, lower right. So can we share it with our people too? Yeah, I'll yeah. send you a link Yeah, send to me it. the yeah. link to it so we can put it on yeah. the Ruth Institute podcast because the people, and we're on iTunes also. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I just want to say too, I think you are especially an eloquent voice. I, I think you know, women have a special voice and people listen on these issues, I think a lot to women, and but you're also, you know, done your scholarship work and, and you're just, uh, I just started listening to the podcast and I said, you're, you're really doing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what, what I find is like many parts of the moral life that the more you do it, the easier it becomes, Yeah. you know? And so if you practice saying, gee, I'm sorry, I, I hurt you, I was wrong, it's easier the next time, you know? Yeah, and if you yeah. practice saying, you know, I don't really care what you think. I'm going to say what's true. Right. Or, you know, it, it just becomes easier. easier. And so yeah. now it's like I don't even worry about it. But I, I have to give a shout out to my husband, though, uh -huh. because he got me out of academic life. And in fact, I thank him in the in the in the forward to the book, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, if I was still, you know, a tenured professor someplace, I never would have had the you know, I would have been kind of in them in that mush, you know, yeah, in kind of the yeah, academic yeah. mush, you know, and it, yeah. it it just wouldn't have been the same. So, the fact that he made it possible for me to stay home, and yeah. then when I d developed the idea of a of a think tank, you know, the yeah. Ruth Institute, he supported that. Yeah. Without him, I just yeah. wouldn't be here. Yeah. Well, thank you for your witness. It's been great. Thank you.